0: Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Okay, let's turn to Daniel, chapter 12, 5 through 13. So this is the conclusion. Daniel's still having conversation with angelic creatures here. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Daniel now speaking, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Well, the apocalyptic nature of the book of Daniel continues right up to the very end. You have these numbers, you've got some difficult, mysterious things that are said, and it's the challenge of someone like myself who attempts to Bring meaning to this to do study and interpretation and try to make sense of what is difficult. Actually, this prophecy continues here, and there's a beautiful word at the end. I don't think you readily saw it, but there's a word of personal assurance to Daniel in verse 13. I never saw it myself, all the times that I read the book of Daniel, never really pondered what is said to him at the very end, it's very easy to miss, but it's a great capstone to this final paragraph, we'll come to it. So in verses 5 to 7, this is the final scene and two new angels come into the picture that were not previously discussed in the book. We know they're angels. It just says two others, but these are heavenly messengers, unnamed, like the one who gave this entire fourth vision to Daniel. We don't know who he is. He's only described as a man clothed in linen, and some additional things about what he looked like. So Daniel is struck in surprise. Behold, he says, two others stood. They stood, one on the bank of one side of the stream. Earlier, the vision, it was the great river Tigris where this occurred. But now it's suddenly become a stream. I'm not sure how to explain that, except perhaps the mightiness of the prophetic revelation that's given to us just makes all of the rest of the circumstances in which Daniel found himself to kind of shrink in comparison. So what was a great river is now a stream in Daniel's evaluation. The vision returns to where it began. It began at the bank of the Tigris River. Now, as it concludes, he's continue to see something there that brings this vision to a conclusion. So one of these angels has a question for the main angel who brought the original revelation, the man clothed in linen. So one of these two lesser angels, and I think they're lesser because the the main angel who brought the revelation to Daniel, he is above the waters. It says it twice. The the law of gravity doesn't apply to angels. He was in the air, above the river, above the stream. And these two angels on either side of, on the banks of this stream, one of them poses a question to that angel. Notice what the question is. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? What is he talking about? The word here that is used for wonders is used twice previously in chapter 8 and in chapter 11. And it's translated, and in both cases, it's probably referring to Antiochus Epiphanes. At least that was our interpretation in chapter 8. Verse 24, it says that he would, use the language here, 824, he would cause fearful destruction. Notice how it's translated, fearful. Translated wonders here, same Hebrew word from the same root. I'm going into this because this is, I think, an important piece of the puzzle to understand who what is being referred to here. So Antiochus was going to bring fearful destruction. Now the word in Hebrew, it's used mostly with respect to God in the Old Testament. And when it's referring to him, it's talking about his wonders, his miraculous works. So it's a very positive uh, word in that sense, but in a few instances, it's applied to man. And in the instance here, in the book of Daniel, it's applied to this sinister, diabolical character in church history, Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Now, it can't mean wonders in a, in a good sense There. In verse 36 of chapter 11 it says that he will speak astonishing things against the god of gods. Now I said concerning the section 36 through 39 of chapter 11 yet some of that was difficult to apply to Antiochus. It seems to have more to do with the antichrist figure of the New Testament. But he was certainly a type of the coming Antichrist. But notice how it's translated. He shall speak astonishing things against the God of God. Same, same word. So when it's applied in an, in an evil sense to this figure from history, it's more the idea it's unbelievable or it's incredible what he's going to do. So I'm taking this sense of how long shall it be till the end of these wonders or these incredible evil things that are going to be perpetrated by Antiochus. So the question pertains to how long is he going to have this influence and power over God's people, over Israel? It's important to know what is being referred to in that question, because that's the key now to understanding what follows. And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right and his left hand. Now he's taking an oath. Now ordinarily in the Bible, you only raised one hand when you take an oath. But here the angel lifts up both He swears by the eternal God, the God who lives forever, Yahweh. So, lifting up both hands, swearing by God, I mean, the angel could not go any further in order to give us an absolute word of assurance that this is going to happen. This adds... Tremendous validity, doubtlessness to what the angel says. Just these, the circumstances in which he does this. So he swears by him who lives forever that it would be... Now here's the time frame. They want to know how long is Antiochus going to carry out his evil on the Jews. For a time, times and a half a time. This is one of these apocalyptic phrases that's mysterious. It's very obscure. What, what, what does that mean? Well, there's two possibilities. It could be what Bible scholars, many have said throughout the centuries, that this is a, an expression for three and a half years. Time, big one, times, plural. They're assuming plural means two, so we got one and two, three, and then a half a time. Now it is interesting that Antiochus, this is documented, these are the, the dates. Antiochus Epiphanes took away the daily sacrifice in the temple and desecrated the temple in May of 167 B.C. Judas Maccabees purged the temple. Remember, the temple had become utterly desolate because of what they did to it, defiling it. it became, there were weeds growing in the, around the temple. It was not used. They had to do a lot to restore it to where it could be a place of worship again. It took Judas Maccabees some time to do that, and worship began again in the temple in December of 164. So from May of 167 to December of 164 is three years and six months, seven months. Antiochus had died in the meantime. So this, this could very likely refer to three and a half years or another way to read it. In a, in a symbolic sense. So think of it like this. So a time, a times, and now it looks like it's growing, uh, the duration of time, and then suddenly, and a half a time. So there's an abrupt ending to this time period. A time, times, and a half a time. So it could be, Uh, The angel is telling him, listen, the, 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 the period of time that this evil ruler is going to do this to God's people, it's a definite period of time. It has boundaries around it. There's going to be an abrupt ending. It is not going to go on forever. That could be another way to read this phrase. But he adds this. The end of verse 7. So it would be for a time, times, and a half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. Antiochus was the great shatterer of God's people. So when he is, comes to an end, when the shattering is over with, this is going to be the conclusion of these wonders, the end of the wonders. These things would be finished. So it's a definite word here from God that an end to Antiochus is certain. His persecution of God's people has boundaries around it, and this is true of all persecutors of the church. They get away with it for a time, and then God ends it, brings judgment on the persecutor. So this is the opening scene. This is now drawing Daniel's prophecy to a conclusion. But Daniel, he doesn't really understand these words, this symbolism He's mystified by it like we all are. And so in verse 8 to 12, Daniel is asking about the end of the age. He wants to know what's going to come after this. Follow with me. Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. So he heard what the angel just said. But he didn't get what a time, times, and a half a time means. Now, that's the second time that's used in the book of Daniel. Back in chapter 7, that same phrase appeared again in one of the visions. Daniel, he's writing things that he himself doesn't grasp. And we would expect this. This This is a book for the end times. This is when it's going to be understood more than it had been in the past. He's baffled by this mysterious prediction. So he asks a question, piggyback on what the angel had asked, about what shall be the outcome of these things, or... What shall be the conclusion of these things, or the last stage of these things? Now, this is, the NLT renders this, how will all this finally end? This is how the translators of the NLT render it. One of the church fathers, Jerome, who had a lot to say about the book of Daniel... He said, his translation, what will be after these things? After what? After a time, times, and a half a time. So Daniel is learning that Antiochus' reign, he doesn't know who this man is, of course, but the terrible things predicted to fall, befall his people will have their end But he wants to know, well, what's coming next? What's going to be the conclusion of that? How is it going to come to a grand finale? The angel says to him, Go your way, Daniel. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Now, we we saw that last week. That's... In verse 4 of the chapter, Daniel was told in verse 4, you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So here he's reminded that his revelation is to be concealed. This is the idea, to be closed and sealed. In other words, it's, it's not the time yet for these things to be understood or to be fulfilled in history. Fulfillment is in the distant future. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of what was said to the apostles in Acts 1. When they wanted to know more about the future and they questioned Jesus, this is before the Lord ascended and went back to glory at the end of his time on earth. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted to know the future. And he said, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about the future. Your main concern right now is to take my message, the good news, and deliver it to the world. Begin here in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, I, I, I kind of feel like this is what's being told to Daniel. He wants to know the future more. He wants more information. But the angel is saying, Daniel, go your way. This is sealed up for the time of the end. The revelation remains concealed until the time when it will be read with understanding in the future. Are we there now? Do we have a little more understanding now than we did previously of the book of Daniel? Perhaps. Remember, I gave you a quotation from Thomas Newton, the man that wrote that old book that I found in my library on the fulfillment of prophecy. Let me read it to you again. It is the nature of apocalyptic prophecy not to be perfectly understood Until the time of their fulfillment. So, the mystery, let's take it with the book of Revelation the mystery of the thousand years. To me, it's kind of mysterious what that thousand years is referring to. This is part of the apocalyptic aspect of the last book of the Bible. But six times, thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. I'm not sure anybody really understands the meaning of that yet. But when the time of the fulfillment comes, then it will be, oh, is that what it meant? And every Bible scholar will be on the same page then in their understanding. Right now, there's a lot of different views on that. Let's go on here what he says to Daniel. Verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. I want to correct this translation, if I may. Not because I'm a Hebrew scholar. I'm correcting it on the basis of other translations. Here it is put in terms that God's people are purifying themselves. Now, there is an aspect to our sanctification that involves our work. I don't discount that. But the New American Standard Bible, which is a very wooden, accurate, word-for-word translation, the NIV and the NLT, all three of those, and I forgot, Jim, to look at the King James, but I'll bet the King James is on board with the ones I just mentioned. It is translated, many will be purged made white and refined. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, the way it's translated here is that the people are doing the work. They're they're purifying themselves and so on. These translations are saying it's done to them. They're passive in it. And I take it here as in the passive sense that this is God's work. This is the point of trials. This is telling us... The good and the blessing that comes out of suffering and affliction in this world. God is purifying us. He's refining our faith. He's making us more like Jesus Christ. Now it's true that we respond to that. And we have our part, our responsibility. But just think of Paul's great words in Philippians 2. He says to the saints there, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. Okay. There's my responsibility as a Christian. I got to work. I need to pay attention to the word of God and what it tells me to do. But Paul goes on to say how this happens. He gives us the process. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's giving us really how it happens. This is the cause. God's work in us, giving us the desire, the will, the ability to comply with his will. So many will be purged, they'll be made white, they'll be refined. This is the positive, divine purpose and effect of suffering. But in contrast, the wicked, who also go through suffering... It's not only God's people who suffer. Unbelievers suffer. They, they experience tragedy and loss in their life and sickness and all the things that Christians go through. There's no distinction. But what is their response? What happens to them? Notice what the text says. But the wicked shall act wickedly. It doesn't, the suffering doesn't do them any good, sadly. Sadly. That's the difference between having the work of the Holy Spirit in your life versus not having the Spirit. Unbelievers become defiant when they suffer. They get more angry at God and so on. I don't need to go into that. That's a very sad reality about people that are lost. But he says they shall act wickedly and none uh, none of the wicked shall understand they don't have any understanding of what's happening they don't see the spiritual side of life they have no insight like the christian has into god's plan and purpose i mean it's an amazing thing the amount of information that you and I have from the Word of God that gives us the ability to interpret life and to interpret what happens to us. The world has no clue why people are getting killed, violence on the streets and so on. What's wrong? It's a gun problem. We've got to get rid of the guns. No, there's something desperately wrong with human nature. See, we we have the background to understand and interpret things only because God gives us this information. They, the, the wicked, have no understanding, but those that are wise shall understand. Now, verse 11. This is neat here because I believe the angel is circling back here with an answer to help Daniel and to help Daniel understand. For he says, for from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away. Remember what Antiochus Epiphanes was going to do? It was required of Israel to burn a morning and evening sacrifice in the temple. Every day they had a burnt offering, one in the morning and one in the late afternoon. So there was a constant offering going up to God, a sacrifice. They'd never missed a day. Antiochus Epiphanes put an end to that daily sacrifice on top of desecrating their temple. sacrificing a pig on an altar that he created and set on top of the altar, a burn offering, an altar to Zeus, and then offered a pig, and continued to more than once, and then took the, the liquid from the flesh of a swine and sprinkled it all around the temple grounds to further defile the temple. I mean, this guy was horrible what he did. It's unbelievable what he did to the Jewish people. So Daniel is being told here how long, or rather, this is probably our clue to understanding time, times, and half a time. This favors the three and a half year theory. Because he says, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, what I just described in the temple, that Antiochus made the temple desolate, he made it impossible for the Jews to worship by the horrible things that he did, there shall be 1290 days. In other words, again, this time period of Antiochus' reign, his nightmare of activity against the Jewish people has this boundary on it. And notice it's just over three and a half years. Three and a half years would be 1260 days. This is 1290. So it's that additional month I mentioned, actually. Daniel is giving, he's given here this specific time frame involved. and I, I believe this is helping Daniel. He wanted, to, he wanted to understand it. I don't understand this language. Well, the angel is helping him here, I believe. This is how I'm taking it. He's giving him this understanding that there will be 1290 days of a reign of terror The Jewish historian Josephus, he bears all this out because he said of Antiochus that he put a stop to the constant practice of the offering of a daily sacrifice of expiation for three years and six months. That's from Josephus. So he confirms this this time frame, three years and six months, that Antiochus did this. So when you think of it as, uh, you know, it's a, it's a moderately long period. It's not a few weeks. I mean, three and a half years is some time to put up with some evil like this and to be prevented from worshiping. But yet, it's not 10 years. Not 20. It's just three and a half. So this, this is a moderate period of time that he's going to have this power over the Jews. But the angel adds this, verse 12, But blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. Now that's an extra 45 days beyond the 1290. What does that mean? Well, I take it like this. The waiting idea, waiting and arriving to this longer date. Those... Waiting probably implies waiting on the Lord. You have this, this understanding that there is some boundaries here around this man's activity. And there are those in Israel that are going to wait. They're going to persevere through this time with Antiochus, the persecutor. And those that persecute, uh, persevere through this time period will eventually see Antiochus come To an end, he will die, and the temple will be restored, and so on, in the future. In other words, blessed is the person who makes it to this point, who perseveres through this, and arrives at 1,335 days. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Waiting and arriving almost sounds contradictory in a sense, but waiting is not a passive thing. This is, this is something that God's people do when we're called on by the Word of God to wait on the Lord. There's the exercise of faith involved in that, waiting, trusting in Him not relying on our own understanding of things, but just waiting on the Lord to move in, to act, to take control, uh, to take over here, to end this man's reign. So blessed is the person who makes it through this great trial of suffering. So that was a beautiful answer to To Daniel, when he wanted to know more about what's coming in the future, it's told quite a bit there. Now, notice verse 13, the conclusion. This this is a personal word of assurance to Daniel. It's a wonderful way that the book ends. Have you been impressed with Daniel in this book, the kind of man that he was? There's nothing bad said about him. He's one of the few characters in the Bible that has a clean record. I mean, even Joseph, as great as he was, you know, there's a little bit of pride that kind of shows at one point in him. Or maybe it was his being naive a little bit, but Joseph is another great person. But here's Daniel, really marvelous, marvelous character. And this is such an appropriate end to his book. So I want us to see it. So the angel now says again to Daniel, but go your way. He already said that to him earlier. we said, I don't understand. He's told again to go his way. But notice it says, but go your way till the end. Till the end of what? Well, till the end of your life. How old is Daniel? Daniel is an old man in his 80s. This is, he spent his entire life in Babylon. So we don't know how long he lived. There's no record of Daniel's death. But the angel tells him, listen, just continue to live. Just go on, Daniel. Go on with how you've always lived to the end. Persevere, Daniel. Um, These dark things that have been revealed to you, that's no reason for you to want to check out early and leave this world. Don't even think about taking your life. Just go on living. Go on living to the end. This is good uh, counsel from the angel to an old man who saw a lot of bad things and heard a lot of bad things. Go on to the end. Now, and you shall rest. Go on to the end of life, and then you're going to enter into rest. Rest is one of the metaphors for the afterlife for a Christian. I've talked often about sleep. I love that. The Bible describes sleep as a metaphor for death. But now this is the focus here is on after going to sleep. Yes, the body is resting in the grave. Uh, it, but you're not there with the body, so you don't know what your body's doing. But the body is at rest in the grave, waiting for what? The resurrection. But Daniel himself, the real person that inhabits that old man's body, like a renter in a tenant building, he's going to enter rest. Let's just think about this for a minute. You know, rest is one of the things that's universally uh, longed for by mankind. Doesn't matter where you live in the world, it's part of being human. It's part of the human condition that we long for rest. We need it at the end of every day. That's how much we need rest. We need a period of ceasing from our labors. But we know what sleep does, getting our rest. It totally revitalizes us, it refreshes us, it rejuvenates us. I mean, there's something wonderful about getting the rest that we need. Being at rest in God means freedom from anxiety. Living in this life can be a very anxious experience and is for many people. There's people that live daily with anxiety, worry, fear. They're uptight constantly. But for the believer, we enter into a state where all of that is gone now. There is no anxiety. There's nothing to be anxious about. It's complete and utter rest. Now, you know that this rest that we experience in the next life does not mean that we are not doing anything, that we're kind of sleeping all the time in the Lord's presence. No, that's not what it means. But just think of when the story of rich man and Lazarus, both of the men died. This is a story, not a parable, by the way. Jesus did not use personal names when he told a parable. This is a true story. The rich man died, went to Hades. Lazarus died, and where did he end up? He was in the bosom of Abraham. That's, a, that's, that's kind of interesting picture of rest. Think of a baby being coddled. I mean, what a picture. He's totally at rest now. Lazarus, who was suffering. A lot of pain and agony in this life, but he now had was at complete rest. I love these uh, other texts from the Word of God that shed light on this. In the book of Revelation, it is said in chapter 14, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors. There it is there. Dying in the Lord is to die safely. It is to enter into a state of rest, cessation from labor and pain and anxiety, and to be at rest in Him. The book of Hebrews says, chapter 4, that whoever has entered into God's rest has rested from his works. There it is there. Now I want to add, as I conclude this one thought about rest that this rest actually begins in this life you don't have to wait for eternal life to be at rest jesus this is a this is the promise that comes with being saved jesus said come to me you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest that begins now so the experience of rest begins in this world when you become a believer And then it culminates, the experience of rest will culminate in glory. And boy, the one thing that people have to give up, that they should be glad to give up, is the fretting and running around and striving and attempting to do things to win God's favor. And to finally be done with that and not have to struggle and wrestle and work and go here and there and do all these things to try to make God love me. To finally say, you know, coming to Christ, I'm done with that. I don't need that. That's not going to get me anywhere anyway. I find my rest in Him. Salvation is an experience of rest. Resting from my own works. Trying to save myself, I give that up. I find in Jesus Christ everything that I have need of for peace and rest. Okay, let me move on. So it's just a beautiful word to Daniel. That you shall rest. Go on in your life to the end, till you die, and then it's rest for you. And he's not done with the personal word of assurance, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let me give the NIV rendering of this. Then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Remember the opening of chapter 12 talked about the resurrection. The time is coming, Daniel, when you will stand, you will come out of the grave. You will stand in your allotted place. This is talking about the inheritance of the saints. There is a glorious inheritance awaiting each of God's people. The Bible says you can't imagine what it is. It is something utterly amazing. You think of the most wonderful thing you could have in this world in an inheritance. It pales to nothing compared to what is in store for us. And that we will be given a resurrected body in order to possess and enjoy that eternal inheritance. But we need a body to enjoy it. And so, resurrection is coming. Daniel will stand in his allotted place at the end of days, the end of time, the end of his life, after he is rested in the grave and in the Lord's presence. So this, this word of assurance to Daniel is, is something else. He's assured of his eternal salvation. It's a great ending. The greatest conceivable comfort is given to him as an old man. We would all love to hear words like this directed to us personally. I'll tell you, there have been times, days in my life in the past, fortunately not Recently, but in long ago, when I would have loved to have had a word of assurance, when I had lots of doubts and questions about whether or not I was a true believer. But Daniel has given this great comfort, and I would add, it's comfort to each of you who follow in the faith of Daniel and endeavor to be as faithful as he is. That's a mark of our faith if we are faithful to God. He was a godly man living in a difficult place in a culture that was antagonistic to his religion. But he stood firm. He stood true to God through it all. He didn't fail the test. A great, great example to us of faithfulness to God. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.